great singing. Now just keep those songs in your heart and uh, as we consider the Word of God as well. Great to be with you again. I don't just say that because that's what you say at the beginning of times like this, but it really is. And uh, we have with us friends from California that have flown out to spend a few days with us. Important part of it is that your pastor and my friend Dick graduated from the same seminary. I'm not going to name it because I didn't graduate from that particular one. (laughs) And interestingly, he had a lot to do with shooting rockets off most of his career, but uh, at Vandenberg Air Force Base. um, So some things of interest about Oak Ridge for him and Liz very significant is that they were the people who helped us move to California. They were on the search team that found us. And then they have traveled with us to Albania many, many times to serve the Lord overseas. And they are life friends. You have a few life friends. Um, This goes on for more than two decades now together. So I invite you to turn with me again back to the book of Joshua uh, to, if you have been with us the last couple of weeks, And Joshua chapter 3, and actually into chapter 4, and maybe reference from chapter 5, though we won't read it all this this morning, Uh, we'll reference some of it along the way, specifically chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4. So let me read to you, and you follow along. It's from the English Standard Version, the ESV. And I'll be reading from chapter 3 and just into chapter 4. Here's God's word. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it. In order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fear fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribe of Israel, from each tribe a man, 
And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of, that, of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap as far away at Hadam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over the other uh, op over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take the twelve stones from out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. This is God's word for us today. And we've talked a little bit about success. We've talked a little bit about getting out of comfort zone. This text is all about some change that's remarkable and how people go through it. And I don't know about you, but change is, is difficult. But I, I've read not changing is fatal. So I'm going with difficult. I'm going to go with difficult. You know, life is not just about change. Some younger people and some people who are older who think they're young think that it's just, if we could just change. But progress comes when there is continuance and change. In other words, if we're going to grow personally, corporately, in a business, there, is, there, there must be the continuance and there must be the change. You'll see that clearly in this wonderful passage today. I haven't spoken with your pastor, Chris, about change, but it is an interesting question. Please don't go up to him afterwards and ask him, but I do like to ask pastors what they feel about change. It tells me a lot about how they process and how they work through their leadership issues as pastors. So chapters 3 through 5 is going to help us see a lot about change. And uh, here's what I want you to remember today. If we're going to work through change in a godly way, then the only way to do it is to align ourselves with God. We have to be in alignment with God. God's destined, designed change comes when we aren't just in alliance with Him, but when we are in alignment with Him. And most of us know a little bit about what that means. 
I mean, one of the fun things, the, one of the first fun things that Charlotte and I did when we moved to this area was to come up just a couple of miles from here over to the Clinch River. And we were riding our bikes along the, the bike trail or the walking trail or the running trail or whatever you do on it. And, and, and all of a sudden there were these long vessels in the water and we, be, we would sit and we would watch as people would row the marvelous Clinch River and, and the universities. And we were there when they had their championship event last year. We'd sit there and we'd watch. And in the longer boats, as you well know. By the way, this caused Charlotte and, and me to read the, the book, The Boys in the Boat, which everybody from Oak Ridge has read. I know that. Uh, I'm waiting for the movie. Uh, but, but to walk the coxswain in the back of the coxswain in the back of the, of the boat calling out the pace and watching those oarmen as they row all in alignment all in alignment that's what i want us to see as we come to this passage of scripture today we're called to be in alignment with God. The alignment means the process of adjusting the parts so that they are in proper relative position. That's, that's what it is. And, and we need to be in alignment with one another in a local church. Ultimately, we need to be in alignment with God. With God. So... When we get in alignment with God, we are aligning ourselves with His heart, with His character, with His reason for exi our existence, for His direction, with His, ta His tasks. Whatever is on the heart of God, right? we are in alignment with Him. That's how we work through this whole issue of change. There's nothing good about change for the sake of change. There is something wonderful about change as it relates to growing. And that comes as we're in alignment with God. So Israel, 38 years earlier, you know the story. We've, we've looked at it already a few times. They blatantly yelled out no to God. And in that, they sinned. And they missed their blessing because they were not willing to align themselves with God and His will. They had looked over the promised land and they said, no can do. And God said, then sit and mope and pout because it's you're not going. And they said, well, maybe we can do it. And they got presumptuous with God. And God said, not on your life. It's not going to happen. And so it was. Now we come to Joshua 1 and God says to a whole new group of adults and their children, go for it. And they said, well, go for it. But we need to be in alignment with you. And so God said, be strong and courageous. And he spoke about the book. And you ought to have it in your heart, in your life. And as they did that, my goodness, they crossed over. The spies went over and they went, as we saw last week. And they found a people there living in that land who were scared spitless. They were. Chapter 3, finally we come, verse 1, and we, we find now they are six miles or so away from the river's edge and God speaks to them and He calls them to alignment one more time and He speaks about this river in verse 15 and this river is not just a little river. Charlotte and I were 
we think this area in the Jordan River just a couple of months ago, and it was muddy like the Jordan River should be, and it wasn't very wide, maybe 50, 60 feet wide at the time, but it wasn't springtime, it wasn't harvest time. When springtime and harvest time comes, it will swell and it will be 150 feet wide. It might be 12, 15 feet deep, and it, it is pitching its way down to the salt sea and the water would move rapidly. And that's what they were facing. So they're called to align themselves with God in a time that would not be simply where they would say, oh sure, this looks easy, we can do this. But they align themselves with God. And that's the setup for Israel. That's how they're being prepared to cross into the promised land. Place of growth. Great place of promise. And in these chapters, chapters 3 through 5, you'll you'll find four related events. And I've chosen four words to help me picture it. We'll only look at a couple of them today and the second one probably not very long. But they're the words ark and stone and knife and lamb. Ark and stone and knife and lamb. And we'll look at the ark and the stone, stone or stones for a little while today. And as we look at them, we are going to see how it is that God would have us to align ourselves with his purpose for our lives, both personally and corporately. So, verse 2, let me read it again from our text. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people... As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and what? Follow it. Go after. So start with the Ark. The message is what? When you see it, follow it. When you see it, go after it. In other words, align yourself with God the shepherd king that we sang of today, with the shepherd leader, as we might think. But don't think about the king or the queen of England and some kind of ruling authority that people look at and listen to, and some do and some don't. But think about this one who is more like a shepherd who leads sheep. One who who cares for its flock. One who calls them and leads them, but in such a way that they know His love and provision as they go. And He says, follow me. No turning back. No turning back. And their desire becomes one of a life of faith and they follow after the ark. Now, you know, you know, most of us, I don't know why, maybe you're not like this at all, but I, I think about the ark, and I, I'm always got this picture of some big boat because that's the word first that I remember as a kid with the ark, but I brought my tape measure today. I'm just going to show you real quick how big the ark was, all right? We are talking right there. That's it, all right? About 47, 48 inches that way, and about oh, 27 inches this way, and 27 inches. You got it in your mind now? Got the whole picture. All right. That's it. Now there's the mercy seat, 
It's a marvelous expression. There's more to it, but that's the box. In fact, you might just think about the box when you think about the ark, except this is not just a box, any box. This is a box that's common and sacred and marvelous, all in one. It's made out of acacia wood. And I asked one of our friends the, yesterday, do you know anything about acacia wood? You know, I looked it up. There are 1,300 different species of acacia wood. This is the common one. Red, probably. I don't know what that really looks like, but that's what it's probably, but it's covered with gold. So God takes that which is, well, think about Christ Himself, fully what? Fully God, fully man. But think about God coming to be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. And here it is, all in this marvelous box, this this box that's before them. And when you see the box, get up, follow, follow. Change is coming. But only as you align yourself with God in following the box. In fact, if you want to know more about what it, it's all about, read verse 10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. This is how you will know. Are you kidding me? That the living God is among you and that He will drive out the Canaanites and there's seven others in there that you can just say as fast as you want as I did and nobody will really ever know if you said it right or not except maybe Pastor Chris. Nobody else. And then verse 11, what's it called? This box. It's the Ark of the Covenant. That's a relational term, isn't it? I think so. But it's not just the Ark of the Covenant. It's the Ark of the Covenant of all the earth, he says. Here's what you know about, about the Ark. Just a few things. One, one is that it's about creation. It's about creation. Why do I say that? I don't mean about the act of creation. I mean all of creation. Whatever this covenant is, it has to do with the whole world. I mean, the first time we read about, or the second time we read about the covenant in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 9, verse 17, God says to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me And I always want to say you, but it's not what the text says. It says, and all life on the earth. My, this is big stuff. God may be highly noticeable in some segments of the world. If you go to Israel, you might feel that way or maybe here in the church or someplace. But I'm telling you, this Ark of the Covenant, small box, but it's big. It's common. It's unbelievable in its glory. It's about, it's about creation, but it's also about God's character because the Bible tells us that this is the, the, this is the ark of the covenant of, of God who is living. He's living. He's not like the false gods of the people mentioned already. He is interactive. He's con- conversational. And here's where we find this living God. It is in the mercy seat. Now, it's not right here in the text, but I'm, I'm describing for you the, the great context of this ark. It's found in the mercy seat. We talked about God's mercy last week. It's where God expresses Himself to us as His children. 
this God of love, this God of kindness, this God who cares. We need to remember that if we're going to go through change in our lives, we must, we must align ourselves with this God in creation and character. And thirdly, in His promises. The Ark of the Covenant was about God's promises. Now you find in the Ark uh, the law. You find in the Ark a rod or would have, you find in the covenant, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, some manna, all depicting what God is. He is our lawgiver, the one who tells us how to live. He is our leader, the rod. He is our provider, the manna. And He is, we see in our text today, He is the one of promises. God keeps His word and promises. God keeps His word and promises that begins with Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when the serpent comes out and strikes at God's son it tells us that the son will crush his head and do you believe he did i believe he did god will defeat the enemy god will defeat death he keeps his word his promises and you can find that all the way through scripture and through your life as well so, what was Israel to do regarding the ark? You remember? They were not to put it on a shelf. You know, and say, wasn't that nice? I got that in Israel. <laughs> not what he says to do with it. He says, get up. Get up. It's hard enough when they tell me I have to stand up and sing. You know? And follow, he says. Verse 3, it was to be followed. Move from your position and follow it. But, but, oh, by the way, just before you do that, just before you do that, there's this little thing of the heart. We need to deal with the heart. See, sometimes in Christianity, especially today, we think, well, you know, if I just get up and do things, if I just go through the motions, good motions, by the way, good things to be done, then, then that's, that's all. Trust and obey. Okay, I'll just obey. I'll do, the, I'll do what God wants me to do. But did you see what? they were to do verse 5 they were to consecrate themselves what does that mean well I think that's the word of alignment it's the word where we set ourselves apart as we follow some people refer to this as being fully devoted followers maybe that's too much for you but I like that little phrase fully devoted. I'm not just a follower of Jesus. I mean, he gets it all. I'm going all the way with him. Fully devoted. Means wherever he says he's going to lead, I say I'm going to go even before I know where that is. It means I don't really know how deep the water is. I got an idea it's not going to be shallow, but I'm going to I'm I'm committed. I'm committing myself now. So that's the call. God was calling them. Look at verse 4. God was calling them to go someplace they'd never been before too. That's change. They're about to conquer a geographically important land. That's change. They're about to drive out people from this land. That's change. This place where iniquity had been overflowing and now is to be marked by the presence of God. That was change. So my question for us all today 
in the fulfillment of our life with God? Are we consecrated to get up and follow Him? Are we in or are we out? Because even though there's the kid song that says, I got one foot in and one foot out, you can shake it all you want. You're not going anywhere until you're all the way in. Christ first. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean you just play the grace card whenever you feel like you need to. It doesn't mean that you get to squeeze God into your busy schedule. You have busy schedules. Somehow those busy schedules have to be woven into the fabric of the God has called you to live. Being in alignment with God does not allow for split personalities. It won't work. Consecration isn't about convenience. Even for the two and a half, the two and a half tribes that said, no, no, we're going over with you. We're coming back, but we're going to go over. It's not convenient for us, but we're going over. They did. So we need, we need to consecrate ourselves to follow God. Lots of people wonder where God is. Where do we find him? Is he in the box? Is he in the box? Well, my Bible tells me that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning. He is the head of the body. He is omnipresent. He expressed himself physically, Emmanuel, when Christ came to earth. He expressed himself in, a, in the sec, second person of the Trinity, in Acts chapter 2, in our lives as the Holy Spirit comes. He is wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, I read. He's in their midst. John 14, He is the indwelling Spirit, Christ, and the believer are united, the Bible tells us. He is here. Are we consecrated, committed? following him it's essential to alignment alignment is essential to change now here's the second image we'll just look at it for a few minutes chapter 5 really tells more about it but it starts in chapter 4 I call it a stone so we have the image of the ark we have the image of the stone uh, I don't know how big large is but large is large and these are large stones and um, I've baptized some people in the Jordan River and have fish biting me or something. I hope that's what they were. Uh, <laughs> nibbling at my, my legs, cleaning dead cells off or whatever they do. But uh, someplace in the Jordan, it's, uh, it was at least rocky stones. And so the people of Israel, the Levites, are to go and they're to carry these stones from the very place where they had stood in the middle of the Jordan River. What do the stones have to do with change? Well, a lot, a lot. Because they teach us of God's faithfulness. Remember what I said? Growth comes through continuance and change. It's the getting up and going, but there is also this constant 
greatness of God expressed in His faithfulness so that we can say today as we sing and as we live out our lives, God is truly trustworthy. God is really the one whom I can pour out my my joy towards and my faith towards and my praise towards and my worship towards Him. The water stood 15 miles upstream. Chapter 3, verse 13, it shall stand in one heap. How did that happen? I heard somebody last night kind of explain how it might have happened in the Red Sea. It sounded very interesting to me, but it doesn't really matter to me. I know I am in the scientific community. I mean, like I can feel it when I walk into this building. But um, and, And just so you know, I barely got through chemistry and I didn't even bother trying physics, all right? My stuff was history and those kinds of other boring subjects that at least that's what some kids think it is, but it was great for me. But here it is, this scientific stuff all around us. And I'm not going to try to explain it scientifically because I think, I'm not positive about this, but I think if it's scientific, you've got to be able to repeat it. And I'm not sure I can redo this one for you. So, but I believe it happened. You know, 25% of Americans don't believe in miracles. So we, we, we start right there with a great struggle. And, and, and you and I as believers, we need to keep that in mind. And we, we don't need to be harsh. We just say, well, I, I believe it. I believe it. One of my favorite, I, I do have to tell you the story, one of my favorite World War II stories, and you may have seen the movie or you may have read a book about it, in, in a book about it, but it's, uh, it happened on March 7th. The 1945 and the Germans had planted all this dynamite on the bridge, a 1,200-foot Ludendorff bridge in Remagen. And I had the privilege of uh, crossing through there when I was younger than you, Brad. So, I mean, I was a college student, I guess, at the time. But um, that's quite a story, the bridge at Remagen. Because all this dynamite that was planted there to destroy the bridge so that the Allied forces couldn't come over, that it all exploded. And this is, a st- this is a steel and stone bridge. And the bridge went up. There's pictures of this. The bridge went up. And the bridge came down. And it stayed intact. Well, the Germans are no slouches. at at pulling off stuff like this. But, you know, science said it should have been destroyed. I don't know. Does anybody want to try it again? I I don't think they're going to. All I know is that when, when the Allied forces crossed over, they met a sign that said, Cross the Rhine with dry feet, courtesy of the 9th Army Division. They were the first ones to cross over. God does stuff. And so these stones were taken out of the middle of the, the, the muddy Jordan River and carried over to the other side and they were planted where the people would camp. And there it was. The people with us in Israel just recently said, can we find those stones? I said, sure you can. I don't know which ones they are and I don't know where they are, but you just go ahead, you look, and you'll probably find 12 stones. <laughs> just don't know for sure if they're the right ones. I can't verify that. But I do know this, that they reminded the people of God's 
faithfulness. Will you remember that with me today? Will you remember that there are things in your life that God has given you to remind you of his faithfulness? And when you see the faithfulness of God, will you worship that God who is faithful? So some churches, I didn't even look. Yep, there it is. It's, I, I was going to say, where is the cross? It's, it's right there. Most churches, right? Why is it there? Oh, I think it's there to be a reminder. We had communion, we call it the Eucharist, last week. Why, why do we eat that bread? Why do we drink from that cup? Oh, I think it's a reminder. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness. You see, most of us think, well, you know, I've got to be faithful. What? You never will be. But 1 Thessalonians 5 says he is faithful and he'll do it. That's what it says. One of my early favorite verses as a teenager. He's faithful. He'll do it. It's about the powerful hand of God. It's about God who does not give me everything that I want, but He makes it possible for me to live through everything He gives. So there's a memorial out there for you somewhere. Memorial Day, Charlotte and I went down to the National National Cemetery. And we stood there. And we were thankful for people who gave their lives. This is greater. This is greater. There are reminders in our life of God, the God who is faithful and calls us, I believe it calls us then to worship Him. So it's not just something, again, a stone on a shelf. It's about a reminder that calls us, you know, worship, all of you have been instructed in this, I am certain. Worship is not a noun like love is not, you know, it's a verb. It's a transitive verb. That means there's an object. God is the object of our worship. So we sing, great is, and we usually still sing old King James stuff, don't we? Thy faithfulness. Faithfulness. Or we cry out all, hail the power of Jesus' name. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? You know, there was a day, you're not going to believe this, probably, but I'll tell you, and if you want to, you can. There was a day over a century ago, just, just a couple of years before I was born, where people... Well, pretty close, actually. <laughs> People ask the question, they ask the question, how did you get under the Word? How did you get on, excuse me, how did you get on under the Word? The, the D.A. Carson writes about this in one of his books. How did, on worship, how did you get on under the Word today? What do we ask? How'd you like the sermon? What do we ask? How'd you like the music? You know, how'd you like the atmosphere? Was it warm enough, cool enough? You know, those are the kinds of questions I unfortunately have heard over years of preaching, but I like that question. How did you get on under the Word? 
Did the faithfulness of God touch your life? Did it draw you to Him? Did it pull you in a direction where you saw and reverenced the holiness of God? Because God is faithful. You see it in the stone. Then I ask you, parents, are you teaching this to your children? Are you helping them see God is faithful? Are you telling stories? Are you praying prayers of faith? They need to know you believe God is faithful. So, God's called us to follow. And God has called us to worship. And let me just remind you something you do all know and agree with. Life is not for sissies. If you're going to live, it's going to be tough. Change and continuance bring growth. So let's follow. Let's worship. Let's align ourselves with the heart of God. And we ask this, Lord, with hearts that are quieted even before we sing and before pastor brings a benediction. Not, uh, help us, Lord, in this moment, not, not just to say words, but in our hearts to make commitments, to follow and to recognize your faithfulness so that we might be ready for whatever it is you would give to us for the glory of your name. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.